Colossians chapter 4, page 1167. This morning we are continuing to discuss our uh, theme for the year. Uh, If you were here last Sunday, you're familiar with this, but um, one of the things we, we did last year here at South Shore Baptist Church is that we, 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 uh, we identified a, a kind of spiritual growth goal for the whole church. Uh, we called it a spiritual emphasis or theme for the year. And last year, if you remember, it was, remember it was closer. And the idea was we need to be growing closer to one another and closer to the Lord. It was a, it was a year to focus on intentional community. And among all the different things, the different ministries and life of the church going on, there was this sort of overarching goal that we wanted to learn more and more what it means to be an intentional uh, body of believers together. Well, this year we have a new theme, and we kicked it off last Sunday. We're going to talk about it again this Sunday. And the theme this year we're, we've entitled Engage giving the gospel person to person. In fact, if you look inside your bulletin that you received when you came in, and if you look in the inside upper right corner, you'll see the the engaged theme there. So, So if last year was about intentional relationships inside the church, this is about then taking that spiritual lives, taking that unity and pressing it outside the church, the, the, uh, being intentional in our relationships with people who don't know Jesus and trying to give the gospel person to person. And so we have ways to engage this year. Uh, one is that you can study the book of Acts with us. So next Sunday, I'm going to start preaching through the book of Acts because Acts is about the gospel going out into the world and how that, how that started in the early church, a really exciting book of the Bible. Uh, we'll have study guides. Seth mentioned those. So, so, you know, you can study the passage ahead of time and then come to Sunday, and, and we can study it together so that you've been thinking about it during the week. We also have growth groups. These are Bible study groups that meet all over the South Shore all throughout the week. Uh, if you've never joined a growth group, man, this would be a great year to do that, to, to study the book of Acts together. Uh, another thing we're asking people to do is to pray for one person who doesn't know Jesus and read the Bible with them, or pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So, so each of us should should find someone or think of someone we know who needs to know the Lord and start praying for them. That's a commitment you can make this year. Or finally, attend the one-to-one Bible reading uh, training during Sunday school in the fall. So two Sundays from now on September 28th, we want to train the whole church in how to read the Bible with someone. So how do you do that? Anyone can do it. It's actually rather easy. But we want to train you in how to do that so that you'd feel confident that if you had a friend who was interested in spiritual things, you could say, hey, would you ever be interested in reading the Bible with me? And yeah, you know, I've never read the Bible. And I've kind of been curious, but I've never known how to go about it. Well, let's get together and meet. And we want to equip you so that you feel like you could do that right there as God gives you the opportunity. Well, anyway, we looked at this engaged topic last Sunday. And if you were here last Sunday, you, you know, we kind of took the big picture view last Sunday. Last Sunday was the aerial 30,000-foot view of Engage. Last Sunday was uh, looking at this whole idea that, that giving the gospel is the central mission of the church, that Jesus left and he told us to give the gospel, make disciples, and, and when he comes again, we need to still be faithful giving the gospel. That this, this is at the core of the church's mission. So, so this idea of engage is not just, again, a theme picked at random out of the church theme hat. 
This is what Christ has called his church to do so that when you and I are going on giving the gospel, we're a part of this great work of God that's been going on for centuries. It's exciting. That's the big picture of a big risen Jesus who's reigning over the world and advancing his kingdom through the gospel. Well, today I want to look at Engage again, but I want to look at it from the other angle. Not the big picture, but the close-up, zoomed-in view. Not, not the, the gospel going out over the centuries, but what you're going to do and what I'm going to do Monday morning. The, not the, the, the wide-angle view, but the narrow focus. In other words, what does it look like for us to be engaged? Specifically, the question I want to wrestle with this morning is, is if you and I were serious about growing this year and becoming more faithful in giving the gospel to others, what would that look like? Like tomorrow morning, what would that look like? What would that look like after your Zumba class, you know? What would that look like when you're hanging out with people today watching the Pats game? What would that look like in homeroom? What would that look like at the office around the the proverbial water cooler? How, How does that look in action in our real lives? So today I want to get super practical, super um, uh, everyday life kind of application from this text. And this is a wonderful text here in Colossians chapter 4 for giving us a very nitty-gritty, hands-on picture of the engaged gospel life in action. So look at Colossians 4, and today we're looking at verses 2 to 6. Let me read them. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone." great passage on being a gospel person out in the world, how to relate to outsiders. Let me give you just a little quick background on Colossians in case you're unfamiliar with what is Colossians. So it's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul in the first century AD, and he wrote it to a group of Christians who were living in the ancient Roman city of Colossae, which today would be in Turkey. That, that region of the world. Um, and, and here were some Christians there. There weren't many Christians there, and they were kind of overwhelmed. There were all these different teachings. There were all these different ideas. And here's this little minority of Christians who believed in Jesus. And part of what Paul wants to do with this, this letter is he wants to encourage these Colossians that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is, he is the all in all. And if they have Jesus, they have everything. And so he's trying to get them to have a big picture of Jesus. And he does that in chapters 1 and 2. This is kind of an overview of Colossians. Then in chapters 3 to 4, where we're going to look today, this is the, okay, if Jesus really is the Lord of all and supreme uh, Son of God, how does that affect your daily living? So 3 and 4, chapters 3 and 4 are very practical. He gets into like how that should affect your family and your work and all this stuff. And then in chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, It's how should the supremacy of Jesus affect the way you act toward people outside the church and the community? And it should make you a gospel person. Because if Jesus is Lord and Savior and He's Lord over all, then we should be people who are concerned to share that with others. 
And so, so there's a, uh, this wonderful teaching in verses 2 to 6. It's so helpful, super helpful, on how we put being an engaged gospel person in action. So, what does an engaged Christian look like? Three answers from this passage. Answer number one, an engaged Christian is someone who's devoted to praying for gospel progress. That's the first one. An engaged Christian is someone who's devoted to praying for gospel progress, for the progress of the message of Jesus in the world. Look again at verses 2 to 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul's trying to get them to pray. I love what it says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. The main verb isn't pray. The main verb is devote yourself to prayer. That's even stronger. It's not just, hey, pray. Okay, I'll say a prayer. No, 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 no. Devote yourselves to prayer. You know, do you know anyone who's devoted to anything? It's like one thing to go to a, a Pats game at Fox, uh, Foxborough. Uh, it's another thing to be devoted to the Pats. I mean, have you seen anyone devoted, like, you know, no shirt, it's painted, like, and they're like, ah! and even if they're losing, they're like, come on, let's go. And, you know, it's like a fan, and then there's devoted. Have you ever met someone who's devoted to their work? Not just that they work, but they're devoted to work. I mean, they're, they're putting in the, the extra hours. They're burning the candle late in the night. They, they are working to, to rise and to succeed. Uh, have you ever seen a mother who's not just she likes her children, loves children, but is devoted to her children, you know, all about her kids? Um, I was uh, uh, very recently, I, uh, we have an intern in our church, a new intern, we have three interns, but the newest guy has just started seminary. His name's Grant, and uh, I invited him to breakfast. I said, hey, do you want to go to breakfast? Pastor Seth, Pastor Godwin, and I are all going out to breakfast. Do you want to come? And he's kind of hemming and hawing, and I'm like, who wouldn't want to go out with three pastors to breakfast? I mean, this would be like <laughs> the opportunity of a lifetime, Grant. And he's like, eh, yeah, and I'm like, well, what, what, what is it? And, and he said, well, you know, I, I haven't jogged this morning. I'm like, well, just come eat with us, and then we'll think of jogging. He's like, after I eat with you guys, I could never jog the way, you know, the way we eat. So I was like, I was like, well, did, you know, go jogging this afternoon or something. So well, I got studies this afternoon. And, and I thought, oh, wow, this kid's devoted, right? He's, got, he's exercising. He's, he's working out. He wants to do good in his studies. He's, he's got things in a row, and he's going to follow through and be disciplined. And then I thought, well, maybe he will be a good pastor. He's got self-control, self-discipline. Uh, that's great. Maybe I, should, maybe I should learn from that guy. Um, you've got to be self-disciplined to be in ministry. It's critical. And uh, so he's devoted. He's devoted to his studies and, and to fitness and to, to running the course in front of him. So what would it look like for us to be devoted to prayer? How would that look? Probably would mean we have some times in our lives, in our days, that is kind of blocked out for prayer. You know, this is my prayer time. And people are like, hey, do you want to go out for breakfast? And you're like, oh, no, I got something going on. What do you have going on? Well, this is kind of something. What is it? No, that's my prayer time. Oh, okay, that's different. But that's, that's when I pray. You know, people who are devoted are always trying to finagle time to do the thing they're devoted to. They're always trying to weasel in more time. 
So they're like, okay, let's see. If I, I have to drive to the... That takes half an hour, and I do that on Wednesdays. I wonder if during that half-hour time I could... How could I pray during that time? Oh, I take a little list, and maybe I'll look at it while I'm driving, and, you know, I just... But I need to I just work prayer into my life. Or someone comes to you and says, oh, could, could you pray for me? I got this going on. And instead of saying, yeah, okay, I'll pray for you, and then we never do, I say, could I pray for you right now? You know, I, I want to be a praying person to be devoted to prayer. And Paul's saying, be devoted to prayer. You know, I, I'm thankful this is a praying church. This is a praying church. I know you people. I hang out with you. I'm in meetings with you. We're a praying church. But I don't know if we're a church that's devoted to prayer. We could probably grow in that. You know, just kind of like my pastoral assessment of myself, too. I'm not like, uh -huh. I mean, me too. You are praying people, but are we devoted to prayer? What would that look like? How could that be? So Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, verse 2. Look back at the text. Being watchful and thankful. You've got to be alert. You've got to be watchful. You know, a, a person devoted to prayer, it's not like 11 p.m. Oh, I've got to pray. Uh, dear God, I just want to thank you for this day. Sorry, uh, sorry, God, I fell asleep there. Um, you know, that's not watchful praying. Thankful praying. So, so Paul's saying, you, you Christians, you need to be watching and praying. But now here's, here's where it connects to the engaged theme. That among our devoted praying, among our committed praying, one of the things that Paul wants them to pray for is for progress for the gospel. Do you see that in verses 3 and 4? So be praying, and when you do, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So, so we start with prayer, and we pray for the gospel. Um, what one, two ways you can pray for gospel progress, probably even more than that, but there's two here in this passage. One way you pray for gospel progress is you pray for an open door. Did you see that in verse 3? Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for what? For the message, for the gospel. So, so being a, a, an engaged Christian means you're praying for open doors. You guys know what open doors are, right? You know, you're sitting on the airplane, and uh, you open up your Bible to read it on the airplane. It's going to be a four-hour flight or whatever. person next to you sees you read your Bible, and so they put on the, the Bose ear-dampening things. <laughs> And they put on the little, you know, eye cover thing and they lean back. Okay, that's a closed door. All right. <laughs> Open doors when they're like, hmm, what, what are you reading? Open door, right? Closed, open. It's, it's an opportunity. An open door is, uh, is when you say, you know, hey, what would you do this weekend? Ah, oh, well, and you, you answer, oh, I was, had, had a good, uh, good time with the family on Saturday, had a great time at church on Sunday, watched the game afterwards, and... And, you know, a closed door is, is when they hear the word church, and they're like, oh, okay. You know, change topic. And open doors, and they say, church? What church do you go to? Open door. So you're praying for the open door. And I love it. I love that it's God who does it. Isn't that great, verse 3? That takes the pressure off. We're praying for God to open doors. Paul doesn't say, kick in the door yourself. God can open doors. Jesus is Lord. He can open and he can shut. So we pray for him, and we say, Lord, would you open doors for me? 
That's a great prayer to pray every day when you get up in the morning, as you pray your morning prayers or whatever you pray, when you're driving to work, when you're going to school. Lord, open a door for me today. And then don't be surprised if it actually happens. Be ready for it. We've got to pray for those open doors. I mean, Paul is praying for an open door. Look at that. He says, pray for me for God to open a door. I find that remarkable because where is Paul when he's writing this? He's in prison. Verse 3, for so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. So Paul's writing this letter, and there's chains clinking from his wrist because he's in prison for the gospel. Now, if I was in prison for the gospel, and I was asking you to pray for me, I don't know if I would be that noble. I would be like, and pray for me that I would get out of this prison. And pray for me that I wouldn't get beat up by scary men. You know, I would be like, God, why I served you so faithfully, and this is the thanks I get that you throw me in jail. You know, woe is me, and this is you know, all that stuff. Not Paul. He's like, ooh, I'm in prison. Mission field. Hey, guys, pray for open. You know, there's this mass murderer in the cell with me. Pray for an open door with him. He needs Jesus really bad. And then, oh, my prison guards, I need, you know, they need Jesus. Pray for an open door there. And then when I go before the judge, pray that I'll be able to talk about why I'm in jail and be able to share the gospel with the judge. So he just had this crazy mindset. But he's praying for God to create opportunities for the gospel so that, so that we can proclaim it. And that's a great thing just to pray for on a regular basis is that God would give you opportunities he would open up doors. But not only do we need to pray for open doors, look at the other thing we have to pray for. Verse 4, we've got to pray for an open mouth. Verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Ask God to give me opportunities and then ask God to help me say the right thing. And sometimes those opportunities come and then we freeze up or we chicken out or whatever and, and we need to ask, we need God's help. God's got to open doors and God's got to open up my mouth. The Holy Spirit needs to give me words. You know, the Holy Spirit can give you words to say in those moments. It's a really cool thing. But if you're walking with the Lord and you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're trusting in the Lord in prayer, God can open up opportunities and God can open your mouth too. And, and we need to be clear with the, with the gospel and to say what the gospel is. By the way, what is the gospel? Because maybe we should kind of pause burp, the sermon for a second. We keep talking about the gospel. I've probably said the gospel about 50 times in the sermon so far. I'll probably say it another 50. What am I talking about? What is the gospel message? What does it mean to give the gospel? Well, you know, it's a message. It's a communication. It's good news. That's what the word gospel means, is good news. Do you know the gospel? If you, if you had one minute to share the gospel with someone, could you do it? You tell them what the gospel is. Let me, do, let me explain the gospel to you. This isn't the only way to say it or the right way, but this is one way to formulate it. Think, think about the gospel this way. Think about it in terms of four simple points. Point number one, God. There is a God. He made everything. He owns everything. We owe him everything. We owe him obedience and love and worship, and that's why God made us, to worship him, to love him, to obey him, to know him, to serve him. But second point of the gospel is sin. We haven't done that, not even close. We are all sinful people. We're selfish. We break God's laws. None of us is righteous. None of us is good enough. None of us is spiritual enough. We're all sinful people, and as a result, we all deserve God's judgment. 
Jesus Christ is coming back someday. This world will come to an end, but it's not going to come to an end because a comet strikes us. It's going to come to an end because Jesus Christ is coming back as the judge. And so and that's going to be a terrible day for humanity that has rebelled against God. But that brings us to the third point of the gospel, which is Jesus. So God, sin, Jesus. And Jesus is the good news that rather than destroying us, God in His mercy sent His own Son to die on the cross. On the cross when Jesus was dying, He was taking that terrible judgment that I deserved. And He rose from the dead, and now He's the reigning Lord. Jesus is God's salvation for sinners. Which then brings you to the fourth point of the gospel, which is faith. God, sin, Jesus, faith. And faith is how we respond to the gospel. So, so what do you do? You've got to put your faith in Jesus. Don't put your faith in yourself. Don't say, well, okay, I'll fix myself, improve myself. You can't. You've got to come to God and say, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And all my hope is in Jesus Christ, the only one who died, the only one who rose again from my sins. I'm going all in. Every chip I have is onto Jesus. He's my hope. My faith is in Christ. That's the gospel. And, you know, Have you embraced the gospel? Do you know that you're a sinner? Did you know that you can be saved and forgiven through Jesus? Through faith alone, faith alone. No system of penance, no no church activity or ritual. Nothing can save you but the blood of Christ because he's the only one who died and rose again. I can't save you. I can't pardon you. I never died for you. I need a savior myself. Only Christ can do that. And so that's the message we proclaim and we pray for open doors. And when, and when it comes, we pray for an open mouth. It may be when you're talking to someone and the opportunity comes, you may only get to talk about one of those points, maybe out of order. Who knows? You know how, you know, you got the gospel in your head, but life is kind of messy and uneven. And I find evangelism to be not a simple linear thing, but kind of fits and starts and messy and disordered. But God works in that way through all kinds of conversations, sometimes spread out over years as we continue to open our mouths as God opens doors. So what does an engaged Christian look like? Number one, they're praying for gospel progress. They're praying for open doors and open mouths. Everybody here can do that. We can all do that. Number two, here's the second thing. It's in verse five. The second thing an engaged Christian looks like, they not only pray for gospel progress, but they live a gospel-adorning life. Let me say that again. They not only pray for gospel progress, but then they go out and live a gospel-adorning life. It sounds funny, doesn't it? Gospel-adorning. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. But it, it's, it's the reality that we've got to go out and live, right? We can pray, and praying is great, but at some point you've got to go get groceries. And you've got to clean the house. And then you've got to, wow, you've got to do a lot of things. got to... Go to your workout class, you've got to go to work, you've got to go to school. And so, so at some point we're going out of our door, we're going out into the world, into the community, and it's at that time we have to live in a way so that our lives make the gospel beautiful. Look at verse 5. It says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So when you're around people who don't know Jesus, even when you're with people who do know Jesus, you need to live wisely. You've you got to think about how you're acting. Because the reality is, 
everybody is watching us. If you're a Christian, you're being watched, you know? People know, well, if you've let them know, and so they're watching to see if there's anything different in your life. And you're like, they're not watching me. I'm nobody. They're totally watching you. Trust me, they're watching you because you've said something about Christ. And so now it's like, well, what's that all about? Hmm. They're totally watching you. You know, being a Christian is like being an actor on stage, not in the sense that we're play acting, but in the sense that actors are always aware of the fourth wall. There's the three walls of the stage, but then there's the fourth wall where the audience is watching. And so we have an awareness as a Christian that, you know, people watch us. They know you left your Bible on your desk at work. They know you were at the youth group retreat this weekend. They know there's a church thing going on, and they really are watching you. And so we, we have to be careful, and we have to be wise in how we live. Um, that's why I love this, this thing in verse 5 where it says, make the most of every opportunity. Do you see that? Greek is really cool. In the Greek phrase, it's, it's literally buy back the time. So it's this idea of someone shopping. And there's time in front of them. There's opportunities. Things are going on. And they're purchasing up those opportunities for the gospel. So another way to put it is like this. If, if you're a Christian and you're an engaged Christian, you're never just going to the grocery store. You're going out into the world and you're acting in front of people. And they're watching how you behave and what you do when the line is long and what you do when the, the person at the cash register fouls things up. You know, they're, they're watching our reactions. They're watching our our temperament and our character. As a Christian, you, you never just go to the gym to work out. You're living in front of a world. You never just commute to Boston. You, you, your life is on display. So we're, you, you never just sit down and talk to your kids. They're watching you. You say, mom and dad's a Christian. Okay, what does that mean? Is that real? And, and our lives are there. They're on display. So we have to act wisely. We have to redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity. Or to put it another way, our lives should adorn the gospel. Adorn the gospel. What do I mean by that? I mean the message of Jesus is the message of Jesus, and our lives can make it attractive by, by, by commending it to people. Um, our lives, your behavior and my behavior, are not the gospel. Let's make that clear. Okay, holy, good Christian living is not the gospel. Sometimes people get that confused and they think, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm living a, you know, that's my way of preaching about Jesus is I live a good life. That's not the gospel. You ever heard the old saying by supposedly from Francis, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, you know, uh, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Have you heard that? Yeah, I, that, that saying drives me crazy because it's not true. You can't preach the gospel without words. The gospel is words. It's a message. I could live an awesome Christian life in front of you my whole life, but if I never tell you about Jesus, you can't be saved. The gospel is a message. But, and I think this is what the saying is trying to say, that's the way I take it anyway, we can adorn the message with our lives so that when we start doing our talkity talk, people will compare it to our walk. Get the right hand motion. And... And if these don't align, people will be confused. And, and it will, they'll be like, huh? What? What? Oh, these Christians, they're all just hypocrites. There's another one talking about Jesus, but look how they live their life. 
Or we can commend it. And, and they can say, wow, you know, I've always noticed something different about you. I didn't know what it is. I wonder, oh, so you're religious, huh? Or whatever. And, and so our lives can either be kind of an on-ramp to the gospel or they can be sort of a detour sign that send people away from the gospel. So our lives need to adorn the gospel. What does a gospel adorning or a gospel uh, confusing life look like? Well, look back at chapter 3 of Colossians. Here's a little for instance. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Here Paul's telling these Colossians to stop living one way and instead keep living another way. And the way they're not supposed to live, it, it, it distorts the gospel message. It, it trips people up. Look at verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, put to death, therefore, strong language. Kill, execute, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, all that stuff. You've got to kill that because these things, the wrath of God is coming. There's that judgment I talked about. Or look down at verse um, 8. You must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, malice wanting to harm people, slander, filthy language. You've taken off your old self and put on the new self. Lying, verse 9. So, so there's, you know, and we could go on with that list. But, but if our lives are kind of the old way and the old behavior, and then we're talking about Jesus, there's a train wreck between our behavior and our speech. In contrast, verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here's how we should behave. Clothe yourselves. This this should be clothing us. Compassion, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, being gentle with others, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving, in verse 14, over all these things, love. It, it's like he's layering, you know, it's winter almost. Time to start layering. I'm layering compassion, gentleness. I'm clothing myself in layers. Humility, love, forgiveness, forbearance, kindness. That, that's what we should look like. And so when we start talking about a kind and loving and compassionate Savior, and they've seen us being kind and loving and compassionate and forgiving people, it's going to resonate. And our lives will adorn, and our lives will commend the gospel to others. So how about you? When you look at your life, does it it adorn the gospel, or does it confuse the gospel? Is it helping people find credibility because they are watching? And, And that's another mark of an engaged Christian. Number one, praying for gospel progress, devoting ourselves to praying for gospel progress, open doors, open mouth. Number two, living a gospel-adorning life so that the message of forgiveness and grace is resonating with a life of forgiveness and grace and kindness and gentleness. And then finally, number three, um, when God gives us opportunities, we need to, to answer questions and speak to outsiders with gospel graciousness. So we pray for gospel progress. We live gospel-adorning lives, and we speak to outsiders with gospel graciousness. Look at verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone.
So at some point, the questions will start to come. People will start asking you questions. And at that point, we have to give an answer. If, if you're praying for opportunities and praying for boldness to speak, even if you're like me and you're kind of, you know, one-on-one, kind of quiet. I know people don't believe that, but it's true. I'm one-on-one, kind of quiet, reserved. You know, even if you're like that, um, even, if, even if you're kind of hesitant, we're praying for opportunities, we're praying for God to, to give us words to say, and then you're living that way, eventually those things are going to add together. You're going to have opportunities. And when those moments come, the questions will start to come. They can be all kinds of questions. Sometimes they're kind of lame questions like, oh, so you believe in the Bible, huh? Well, what about the dinosaurs? Where are they in the Bible? You know? I don't know. Like, there were dinosaurs at one point. They're dead, and I'm glad they're dead, frankly. <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, I don't want to live in a world with velociraptors, okay? Who cares? Whatever. Um, or, you know, maybe they'll ask a question like, well, what do you think happens when we die? What do you think happens? Do, do you think we just, like, are done? Or do you think we like, get reincarnated? Or do you think we're, like, hovering around watching people? Like, what do you think happens? That's a gospel opportunity. The questions start coming. You know, well, well what about you? Why do you read the Bible? Don't you ever, do you find, like, isn't it kind of strange? Isn't there all the kind of killing and things in the Bible that are, why do you believe that? Why do you believe in God? I struggle with believing in God. The questions start coming. And in those moments, we have to be prepared to answer. And the great thing is, is that the Holy Spirit will help you answer. The Holy Spirit will help you answer if you're walking in the Spirit. If you're praying and asking for God's help, and if you're living a holy life, an obedient life by God's help, and you're walking in the Spirit, you'll be able to speak with the help of, what I mean by in the Spirit is the Holy Spirit will help you say what you need to say. It's amazing. Anyone ever had that experience where you have an opportunity to speak and suddenly stuff starts coming out of your mouth and you're like, I didn't know I could say that. That was cool. Oh, God gives you words. And, and so, you know, you'll be ready to answer because you're living an engaged life. Spirit-filled praying and spirit-filled living and spirit-filled speaking, it's, it's all one. It's not like one or the other. It's not like you can pick and choose. It's, it's, it's all one f- uh, piece of fabric that flows together and is woven together. This spirit-controlled life by the Holy Spirit. And then we'll know what to say. And those tough questions come. Sometimes they're really hard. Have you ever had this question? What, what does your church believe about homosexuality? You know, do you guys, are you guys one of those hater churches? What do you believe about that? Sometimes you get really like, boom, questions like, oh, what do I say? But we need to be ready to answer. And when you get hard questions like that or any kind of question, I, this is my advice to you. Always try to get people back to the gospel. Right? I really don't want to talk to you about dinosaurs. I really don't care. I mean, they're cool, but they're dead, Whatever but I'm going to talk about the gospel. It's like at a press conference. Someone hits you with a hard question. And, and what do they teach you if, if you've know, been taught in how to handle press conferences? You control the message. You don't have to answer what they're saying necessarily. And so you're like, well, that's a good question, but this is really what I want to talk about over here. And so someone hits you with whatever. Or like, you know, what, you know someone wants to talk about. That's the only reason I bring up homosexuality. Huge topic in our culture today. And so someone hits you with that one. What do you think? Well, I can answer that, but I want, I'm far more interested in talking about Jesus with you, you know? So I might say something like, well, 
Uh, that's a tough question. It's a personal question. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you have friends uh, who are gay or lesbian. You're like, I, you know, for me, this is a personal thing. This is not an abstraction. Um, but, you know, our church, well, our church starts with God with everything. We always go back to God. And God made us. See, we're in the gospel, God. You know, God made us. And, and God is the one who determines. It's not what I think or you think. It's what God thinks. And God made male and female. And they fit together emotionally. And, and they, I mean, even reproductively, they fit. It's kind of obvious. And, and that's how God created us to be. And, and so going against God's plan, against God's will is not good. And we call that sin. And so to, to be engaged in homosexual acts is, is against what God has willed. I mean, that's, it's sin. But you know, here's the thing. There's a lot of sin. Heterosexual behavior, you know, people sleeping around outside of marriage, that's sin too. And you know, being greedy is sin, or being uh, out of control with anger is sin, or being, being an aggressive, rude person is sin, or lying is sin. You know, at our church, really, the thing we're focused on is not one behavior or another behavior. We're coming to our church because we're looking for a solution, which is Jesus Christ. And, and we find in Jesus a Savior for all kinds of sinners. You know, he's like the broad-spectrum antibiotic. He just, he cures it all. And so we come to him. That's what our church is really about, is about a Savior for sinners. That's why we get together and worship. And so then who knows how they'll respond. Maybe they'll be like, yeah, I don't want any more of that, and they're done. Or maybe they're intrigued. I don't know. I'm not responsible for anybody's reactions to the gospel. I can't control that. I'm, I'm, I'm responsible to be faithful and to share the gospel and give the gospel even when people ask questions, even when they ask hard questions. But notice this. Look at verse 6. I need to do it in a particular way. Let your conversation always be what? Full of grace. Full of grace. Have you ever heard someone talk about the gospel of grace in a very ungracious way? So not only do I need to talk about God's grace, I need to do it in a way that's full of grace and kind and respectful. That was the passage that Seth read earlier in the service. Let me just read it again from 1 Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We need to do it graciously and gently and respectfully. Even if we have to disagree or say things that are hard, we can, you can say things that are difficult in a, a harsh way or you can say them in a gracious way. And so we, we need to be not only people preaching the message of grace, but doing it in a gracious manner, even if the person who's coming at you is being very ungracious. Even if they're just firing with both barrels and being down and dirty in what they're saying, we take the high road and we always answer in grace, truth and grace, truth and grace. Don't skimp on the truth ever, but don't skimp on the grace. Truth and grace is the way Jesus was. He was full of truth and full of grace, and that's what God calls us to be as well. And I love this other, this other word in verse 6, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. I like that. What does that mean? I think what that means, based on the research I was doing, I think what it means is winsome and attractive. It's a kind of speech that, that makes people want more. I mean, you know, here's some food. It's lacking something. How about some salt? Mmm, okay. You know, so, so, so it's kind of like being gracious. It's, it's speaking the gospel in a way that 
sort of lures people in a little bit. I was uh, talking to a, a brother in the church this week, and he was telling me about a, a salty answer he gave recently. So, uh, and he said I could share this story. So he was on an airplane recently, and he was sitting next to this uh, 30-something woman, a professional woman, and they got into a conversation about success and profession and work. And she was climbing the corporate ladder, and she was all about the career and the success. And, and he was you know, engaging her in conversation about that. And he works uh, you know, with executives and coaching in the executive world. And so you know, he's, he knows a lot of people who've climbed way to the top of the ladder. And, and you know, as she's talking, she's, she's sharing more. And she says, yeah, you know, I'm 30-something, but I, you know, I'm already divorced. Uh, and basically, you know, what the, the big problem was my husband wanted a family. And I didn't want a family. I wanted a career. And, uh, and it's like, what? <laughs> you know? And you could respond at that moment in a very ungracious, unsalty way. You could be like, what are you, a narcissist? Like, are you kidding me? You gave up a family for a career? Like, that is just wrong. God, God gave you a husband, and, and God commanded us, be fruitful and multiply. And if we're physically able to, we're supposed to do that. That's a command from God. That's how God made the world. Like, and you would give that up for a career? Like, what is wrong? Not a good way to respond. Uh, true, <laughs> but no grace, no salt. And so he, in that moment, and this is how this guy told me the story, he says, in that moment, God gave him words. The Holy Spirit gave him words. And so he looked at her. He said, you know, you're climbing that ladder, and you know, he knows lots of guys who've climbed the ladder. He said, hey, do you know what's at the top of the ladder? She was like, no. What's at the top of the ladder? He looked at her, and he said, nothing. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing at the top of the ladder which was a very salty way of saying, you're worshiping an empty idol. But he didn't say that. There's nothing. She was like, oh. And then they started talking, and they got off the plane, and she was like, I need to talk to you more. Can I have your number? Can I have your card? How do I get in touch with you? So he's been talking to her and, you know, emailing or whatever, and just, and now trying to turn that corner from, you know, I guess that would be two, that would be sin, but trying to turn the corner to three, to Jesus, and, you know, okay, let's talk about where life really is found so that you can be in the workplace and, or in a family or whatever because your life is not there, it's in Christ. And, and rather than trying to suck life out of work or suck life out of children, which is a fail, that's idolatry, I'm filled with Christ's life and I'm, I'm imparting his life into my work. I'm imparting his life into my family. I'm imparting his life into my uh, hobbies, you know? And so that's a salty answer. And you think, I couldn't answer like that. Yeah, probably not. But the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit can help us, and He can give us the words and, and the, the open doors and the open ears and the opportunities. And so really, this, this is a call to being a Spirit-filled person, or as Paul puts it in Colossians, to have the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly. As we submit to the Lord and we pray for open doors and open mouths, and by His grace, we're living a Spirit-filled life, always alert to the opportunities. And when those answers, those times come where people ask us questions, we want to tell them graciously and by God's grace in a salty way about the gospel so that we can tell others. Brothers and sisters, it is time for us to surrender our lives to the Lord this year and to this call to engage. It's time to take whatever you have and to put it on the table for the Lord, your career, 
your family, your illness, your hobbies, and put them before the Lord and say, Lord, this is my life. I want to be a gospel person this year. I don't know how to do it. I'm scared to do it. I'm pretty lousy at it. I've had a lot of fails in the past. But this year, Lord, use my life. If God could use this whole church, ah, I mean, this is, you guys are it. You're the army that God has raised up. This is the sleeping giant that must be awakened, is our church and other churches. So let's pray. Let's pray. And I want you to pray. Just pray silently. Pray to the Lord yourself. And would you ask the Lord in your own words to to take your life and to make you an engaged Christian this year? And would you ask the Lord for help? Help with your praying, help with your living, help with your speaking. Ask the Lord for the Spirit to fill you and give you help. And now maybe you already know someone who really needs Jesus, and that's a person you want to pray for this year regularly to engage. Would you, would you just ask God for opportunities this week with that person? Hmm. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would exert your kingly authority over the south shore of Boston. Oh, Lord, would you gain glory for yourself by saving many Oh, Lord, would you use this church? Would you clothe us with power to be your witnesses, Lord, we pray. Oh, God, I pray that you would awaken this sleeping giant. In Christ's name, amen.